Good morning, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28 will be our text this morning in our series, what I call Marked for a Mission. Only been at this for a couple months, already at the end of chapter 2, racing our way through. We look at the subject this morning, Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath, Lord of all, and Lord over all. We just sang, think about that, mountains will bow down and the seas will roar. There is nothing that compares, and that is the Lord that we have the privilege of learning about this morning. We do want to welcome every single one of you. Um, let, let, me, let me just pause and, and say how much um, I appreciate and I love this church, this body of believers. I want to thank you on behalf of our whole extended family in, in praying for us this week with the um, arrival of uh, one new little one. Um, my niece and her husband I gave birth to little Eli, Elias, Michael. Um, and I am just so grateful for your faithful prayers. And to know that we do not journey alone um, is an absolute amazing, amazing privilege. Um, please continue to be in prayer for Eli. Um, his, um, his, even the, the survival through the, the birthing time and through the um, stabilizing was, was really uh, touch and go. And we praise God that he is here. Uh, he is actually a, he's a big boy, nine pounds, uh, four ounces. Um, there were 25 people that were on the surgical team that received him and uh, immediately began to work. Uh, Lord willing, they, they do believe beginning tomorrow there will be several heart surgeries in the time to come. So please continue to pray for him. But he is, he's got a steep climb, um, but we are grateful um, for so many people. I heard it was 25 different countries, people, believers, um, that were praying, representing all over the place. Let, let me just tell you that um, the, the design is of the body that we don't journey through life alone. It's not supposed to be like that. Um, and what a joy it was to know that we are receiving texts and prayers continually and constantly. Um, let, me, let me remind you, okay, that a lot of times we don't want to let people know that we're in need of prayer. Um, and so we don't want to kind of let down our guard. And, and that's wrong. Uh, let, let me tell you, we, we need to be very open and very honest and transparent to know that we need one another. Um, every single one of us have been broke down on the side of the road before. Matter of fact, um, that just happened to me. I ran out of gas. And, and Doug Dodder, thank you, brother, for coming to our rescue. We've all been there before. And that's really important on how the body um, is to care for and love one another. And that was demonstrated um, kind of real time this week. And I just praise the Lord for each one of you and, and use that as a reminder for every one of us to be that real and open and transparent when we're in times of need. Um, special time, uh, my... My big brother um, became a grandfather, um, and so we are just rejoicing in that. Uh, that officially, um, all three of my siblings are now um, grandparents. I've told uh, Ben and Sarah that I am, as of now, officially losing. 
we'll, we, we need to pray. We need to just... <laughs> Let's go to the Lord and, and just thank Him for His goodness, His grace, and ask that He just guard our time as we learn, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes and our ears to hear and to see Him. Let's pray together. God, we come before You and even even allowing us to come into Your presence, we recognize the work of Jesus. We, we could not do that apart from the work that, that Your Son accomplished for us on the cross. And we just praise Your name. We lift up the name of Jesus. I thank You, Lord, for this body of believers. I thank You, Lord, for what You're doing in our midst as You stir our hearts, Lord willing, continually to have a greater affection for You. We thank You, Lord, that You're a God who answers prayer, that You hear our cries. We know, Lord, that Your ways are higher than ours. That we don't, don't fully understand. And I know, Lord, that there's situations, even right now, represented in this very room, where people are, are aching and crying out to You. God, help us to be willing to share one another's burdens. Help us, Lord, to cast ourselves at Your feet. Because nothing compares to you. We thank you, Lord, for the power of your word and and for how perfect it is. And now as we have the privilege of sitting and learning together with it open before us, God, I would ask that we would hear a word from you. We would get a glimpse of you. And Father, we just rejoice in your design of the local church and that it's through the work of your spirit and, and, and through the work of your word that becomes living and active that propels us into ministry on the mission that you have called us to be on. God, give us strength and endurance. Comfort us when we need comfort. Convict us of our shortcomings when we need it. God, may we, may we move together for your glory. Guard us now as we learn. Please guard my lips and my mind so that everything that takes place would be for the glory of the name of Jesus. We ask this in the powerful powerful name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Uh, the Gospel of Mark so far we have seen is he is to the point. Let's just get to the point. Let's cut to the chase. Um, the style is he's very direct. He's blunt in every way. The narratives, the stories are very short and, and simple for us to understand, but yet they carry a, a powerful, what I would call punchy Message And through the entire time, Jesus remains the focus. He is the focus. And it's not just cutesy stories and events of one's life. There's something happening. There's something rumbling beneath the surface. It is all about what the reality of his identity. The focus of Mark is pointing us to what? There is one unlike anyone else. He is the God-man. The God-man, Jesus. He is on task. He is on point, on purpose. He is on mission. And He has a job, what? To make the unrighteous. That's, that's me. That's us. Jesus is on mission to make the unrighteous righteous. Jesus has a purpose to make the unholy, that's us, that's me, 
to make us holy. So far in Mark chapter 2, we have seen his increasing kind of name, his increasing fame, the influence and impact. But yet with this, there is an ever-increasing opposition. And we kind of use the idea that the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the scribes, are kind of like buzzing flies, mosquitoes, or gnats around his head, just causing constant annoyances, criticizing him on every move. We saw that they have a forgiveness issue. Back in verse 7, they asked the question, who, who but God can forgive sins? We saw that what they have a friendship issue. In verse 16, why does this man eat with tax collectors and sinners? They've got a problem with everything. We saw last week they had a fasting issue. Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast, according to verse 18? Now this morning it's another subject. It's the subject of the Sabbath. And guess what? Guess what? Shock. They've got a problem with Jesus and his disciples not keeping the rules of the Sabbath. There it is again. Rules, rules, rules. Follow along as I read uh, verse 23 through verse 28. We'll conclude uh, chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, 23, 28. Here's our text. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look! Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Oh, how annoying these guys are. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the name of Abathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he, speaking of Jesus, said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Um, there is a, a game that we would play when the kids were young, You've, you've played this game before, I'm sure. Um, we called it hot or cold, pretty simple. And you take something, it's maybe a present or a treat or a hand grenade, and you hide it somewhere in, in, your, in the living room, and you call the kids in, right? And they're looking for it, and as they look for it, if they move further away, you're like, oh, cold, 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 or cold, freezing. And then if they move towards it, you say what? Warm, getting warm, warmer, hot, hotter. You're boiling, okay? And then eventually, hopefully, they, they get to it. In essence, that's kind of what Jesus has been doing right here in chapter 2 as far as the revealing of himself. He is the what? The prize that people are looking for. The idea is, is those searching, particularly the, the fact they're not getting it. They're not getting it. 
He uses the term what in, in verse 10, that He is the Son of Man. He's the one who forgives sins. And it's like they miss it. It's like they're going the opposite direction. You're getting cold, colder. No, you're not getting it. We see in verse 17, he, Jesus refers to Himself as the physician. He has come to heal the sick. He gives them another hint. And they miss it. In verse 19, He is the bridegroom. I'm the one, Jesus says. That's why we celebrate. That's why you can feast. Because I am here. And they're not getting it. It's what He does today in this particular, in this particular text. In verse 28, he, he uses, he drops the bomb and he uses a term that would be the absolute most offensive term for anyone. That's why, that's why the Pharisee had such a hard time with him. He refers to himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. It would, it would, it would cause an outrage beyond comprehension. There's a problem here. Number one, there's a problem that exists. And the same problem that exists in Jesus' day exists here today. In our country, in our culture, sadly even in our church. The problem is this. Many see the obeying of rules as the only way to righteousness. Number one, the problem that exists, the elephant in the room, is that many people think that by the obeying of rules, it is the only way to become righteous. Okay, so we look at this narrative here. If I'm first reading another story, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of basic. It's a couple guys um, walking, picking some grain, and eating it. Like, what's the big deal? It doesn't really seem like the most exciting story that has ever been told. We have the disciples at this point. We know it's at least Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and, and Levi or Matthew. So there's five of them. More will be named and, and listed later on. But to our understanding, it's five of them with Jesus, and they have been literally serving with Him, ministering alongside uh, perhaps serving what is crowd control. And, and as they are, are working alongside of Jesus, literally as they are walking alongside of Jesus, they're typical guides. And what? You got anything to eat? I'm hungry. Like, how many times do we hear that from men? And these guys are like no one else. Okay, and they get hungry, and they're, it's before the time that that you have Nutra bars, okay, or or Cliff bars that you got in trouble with Cliff bars that you keep in your fanny pack if you have a little fanny pack or not. I know that I was offending people who wear fanny packs, but it's before those days they didn't have a little Cliff bar in your fanny pack. There's no there's no drive through. Okay, there's nothing for them. And so it says, as they're going through the grain fields, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Now, we're not told what type of grain. The King James Version actually says it and, and, and alludes to ears of corn. So we don't know, was it wheat, barley, oats? Basically, what they do is they take it, they put it in their hand, they rub it to get the shell off and just pop it in them, just a little snack. Healthy little snack along the journey. Grab some energy and, 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 and keep going. 
the, the idea here, it's not necessarily what they were doing that was causing the problem. It's when. It's not, it's not the activity. It's the timing of the activity. It was on the, what, Sabbath day. Picking grain was considered reaping, and reaping was considered work, and work was forbidden on the Sabbath. Now, we know what? It's not just Jesus and his, and his guys. There's other people that are following along, and it's these, what? It's these buzzing flies, these gnats. And the Pharisees are in protest to what? His disciples are doing, asking the question, why, why are you doing what is not lawful? Aren't they fun people to hang around? Why are you doing what is not lawful? You're breaking the rules on the Sabbath. Let's pause on this idea of, of Sabbath for a moment. We know that um, the word Sabbath, it comes from a root sabbaton, which literally means to cease, to stop. It was instituted initially, Genesis chapter 2, God himself in creation works six days and then what? Rests on the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 20, it says what? You are to keep this day holy and you're not to do any work on it. What's interesting is that there's really not a lot more instruction about the Sabbath other than what? Keep it holy and and cease from your work. It was to be a day of rest, to be restored. It was a gift that God had given and what had happened, what is so typical, is that the, the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, had literally added weight of extra-biblical, man-made rules of what you could or could not do on the Sabbath day. And, and they followed them to a T. For a Jewish person, everything revolves around the Sabbath, which is sundown on Friday evening until sundown on Saturday evening. Their whole week kind of, kind of, kind of uh, revolves around what the Sabbath day is like. What's interesting is that there is a Hebrew work, it's called the Talmud, that came after the time of Christ, and it codifies all of the laws that existed in Judaism surrounding the Sabbath. And get there, there were, there were 24 chapters, 24 chapters of laws of what you could or could not do according to the Jewish leaders on the Sabbath. One particular rabbi spent two and a half years in study trying to decipher and discern what actually this means. And I, I, w- I was reading some of this, and I'm going to share with you. This is, this, is, this is how challenging it was to live properly according to the rules established about the Sabbath day. Okay, You could not carry any burden that weighed more than a dried fig. Okay, well, I had to do a little research. I'm going to step ahead of you. Okay, well, how much is a dried fig weigh? Um, a, a dried fig generally weighs 40 to 50 grams. Well, that didn't help me a whole lot. Okay, so one ounce is 28.3495 grams. So approximately, here it is. Okay, you could not carry anything that, that weighed more than two ounces. Okay, for the entire Sabbath day where that was considered work. So no burden could be carried that weighed more than a dried fig or half a fig carried two times. Think about that. 
Here you go. If you put an olive in your mouth and you spit it out because it was bad, you couldn't put a whole olive in your mouth the next time because the palate had already tasted the flavor of the whole olive. You do that, you're sinning. You're just on your way to hell. Think about this. If you threw an object in the air and you caught it with the other hand, it was a sin. But if you threw an object in the air and you caught it with the same hand, it was not a sin. That's not confusing. A tailor could not carry his needle. A scribe could not carry his pen. A pupil could not carry their books. Um, No clothing could be examined lest somehow you find a lice and you inadvertently kill it, that would be a sin. Wool could not be dyed, nothing could be sold, nothing could be bought, excuse me, nothing could be washed. A letter could not be sent, even if it was sent via a heathen. No fire could be lit. Get this, cold water could be poured on warm water, okay, but warm water could not be poured on cold, because that would be a sin. You could not fry an egg, You could not bathe for fear that when the water fell off of you, it might wash the floor. That's considered work. If a candle was lit, you couldn't put it out. And if it wasn't lit, you couldn't light it. Chairs could not be moved because they might make a rut. I don't know what that means. Women could not look in a glass or mirror in case they find a white hair and be tempted to pull it out. Many of you women have sinned. (laughs) Women couldn't wear jewelry because jewelry weighs more than a dried fig. A radish could not be left in salt because it would then make a pickle and pickling was considered work. And no more grain could be picked than you could fit in a lamb's mouth. I could not research that. And it it just goes on and on and on. The oppression of what you could, what you could not do. There There were laws about wine, honey, milk, spitting, writing, getting dirt off your clothes. Uh, You could only use enough ink for two letters, like two written letters, not two alphabetic, or not two full letters, but not even two alphabetic letters. That was forbidden. Sowing, plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, sifting, grinding, kneading, baking, washing wool, beating wool, dyeing wool, spinning wool, putting on a weaver's beam, making threads, weaving threads, separating threads, making a knot, untying a knot. Like if your shoes were in a knot, You can't untie it. Now think about this. It's the oppressiveness of a system about what you need to do in order to be righteous. Now, I know that we say this is like totally foreign. Okay, we don't live according to... who, Who really cares if somebody picks some grain and eats it on a journey... What does that have to do with me like today? Like, how does that connect with our church, our mission that we are on, or our vision? The problem that exists, the problem is glaring that people really think by obeying man-made rules, then you become more righteous. I, I, I was interesting. I was raised 
precious, wonderful family, but it was not right for us on a Sunday to play ball on a, on a baseball team. It was wrong. And yet, because we relaxed, and I loved to play ball, it was okay for us to have a catch and to hit the ball around. We just couldn't officially play on a team. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, well, I don't really see how that matches Now, I'm not saying let's just forget about we are to set this day apart. But there's something that we very easily creep into with man-made rules. We say if we keep this, then you become righteous. That's the problem. Thankfully, what? There is a solution. The solution is this. Number two, Jesus, as Lord of the Sabbath, offers grace, which produces joyful obedience and righteousness. The solution, thankfully, is that Jesus, who is Lord of the Sabbath, Lord of all, Lord over all, offers grace. It is a breath of fresh air. And because of that grace, okay, it brings joyful obedience and righteousness. Again, as we have seen repeatedly, when Jesus is accused, Jesus is questioned, um, he, he likewise gives a brilliant and a masterful rebuttal to this so-called problem that exists. And Jesus answers with a question of his own. Now, what's interesting here, and I love kind of the, the tongue-in-cheek, okay? Uh, think about Jesus is speaking to the religious right, okay? They are the brilliant scholars, scribes, Pharisees. They have memorized chapter upon chapter. If they didn't, okay, they were unrighteous. Jesus begins by asking this question, Have you never read what David did? Whoa, that, like, even right there is bothersome to them. They're already ticked off. Like, yeah, by the way, did you ever read this before? Of course they've read it. They're like scholars. That's all they do is sit around and read. Okay, and Jesus begins with this, ever, ever read about the time that David went into the house of God with his men? And they were hungry? And he tells, in a sense, a story that comes, you don't have the time to read off 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 6, tells a, tells a story of what's happening here. David's on a mission, and his men, typical guys, they don't have fanny packs with bars in them, and they're hungry. What do they do? They go into, into the temple where the priest is, and there is fresh baked bread every day that is reserved only for the priest. And in a sense, there's somehow, there's a law that's made, and for some reason, with permission from the priest, okay, who gets a word from God, says, you can go ahead and eat this. And David eats it. Wait a minute, it's forbidden. And he gives it to his guys to eat it. As well, and Jesus says, you ever hear about that story? Now, who is King David to these guys? King David is like, whoa, King David. King David could do no wrong. He is the hero of heroes. Jerusalem, the city of David. And so we have this idea that, that they are, what, they're humiliated and they're embarrassed because Jesus used an example of someone that they esteem and hold in the highest regards. Jesus is not just content here to, to draw their attention to an Old Testament passage that's very challenging and in a sense corners them with how are you going to explain this? You ever read this? 
But there's something bigger. There's a fundamental biblical principle that Jesus wants to bring to the surface. In verse 27, it is this. You realize that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This day was given as a gift from God to man to meet his needs. He needs to rest, to turn off. It is a day that was reserved, what? To bring blessing, not burden. Not not to be a day that reduces them to to, to rule-keeping robots. I I heard it described as reading this week. I heard it illustrated like this. The Pharisees were like like the committee at a country club, okay, where there was a beautiful golf course with incredible, perfect fairways in order to play on. But in order to preserve or in order to protect the fairways, what, from being cut up with divots or ball marks, the Pharisees wanted to make sure that everyone always played the ball in the rough, Beautiful, beautiful fairway. Just don't ever go on it because you're going to mess it up. So you stay over there. Like, wait, that makes no sense. Ladies, think about a a kitchen. A beautiful state-of-the-art kitchen has everything that you need to, like, create and bake or cook or whatever. And what, you can't use it because you're going to get it dirty. It makes no sense. Imagine having a beautiful new car. It's parked in your garage. It's unbelievably gorgeous and it's beautiful to drive, but if you take it out of the garage, it can get dusty and dirty, so you just got to leave it there. It, it just it makes no sense. Why would, why would you have that? And that's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> A fairway is designed to be played on and enjoyed. A kitchen is designed to kind of get dirty because that's where you create the masterpieces for your menu. Cars are designed to be driven. Sadly, what is happening here is that the Pharisees were turning a day that God had given to them and designed for them as a blessing to be a burden, a weight upon their shoulders. What what Jesus is teaching here is, is the fact that tradition should never stand in the way of mercy and grace and kindness for goodness. Now what Jesus is saying, what? Is that if David could be allowed to violate this divine symbol, then the disciples certainly could be allowed, by given authority from, from the Son of God Himself, to violate an unbiblical principle connected or regarding the Sabbath. I know this automatically has questions and surfaces. Well, what about God gives Laws for a reason. So, so do we just ride grace, Wendell would call it? Do we, take, do, do we ride grace to, to a point of heretical extreme? Do we just kind of like, well, we're going to do whatever we want to do because God, God's got us covered on this. God's got our back. He's going to forgive us, right? No, no. It doesn't change what that there is a call for holiness. It doesn't change that there's a call for obedience. It allows us to examine our own hearts and say, well, why are we obeying? And to realize that in and of our, ourselves, there is every single one of us that has fallen short. Every one of you have pulled a gray hair out on a Sabbath. Every single one of you have what? Caught something with the other hands. 
as opposed to every one of us. And so that's why as we strive to do it, we are desperately reliant upon God's grace right here. And because of God's grace, it motivates us in joyful obedience. Finally, in, in verse 28, Jesus, Jesus, he just dropped the bomb with this statement. He completely blows up and shatters the self-righteous mind of the Pharisees as he speaks with great and he speaks with final authority. Listen to this. It says, so the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. They weren't getting they weren't getting it that he's the physician that comes to heal. They weren't getting that he's the bridegroom, that that's the reason that we feast and celebrate. What Jesus is proclaiming, what? Is the fact that he is Lord. He rules over the Sabbath. Jesus is saying what? He is God. Jesus is proclaiming, I designed this day. I am the creator. I gave it to you. I set the standards of behavior. Jesus is making very clear his message in many ways is an invasion against that which is norm. That which is the acceptance. Jesus is announcing that the message of the gospel is an outright assault and an attack against the false religion, the fraudulent practices and rules that the Pharisees had established. Jesus is offering grace, totally new, unheard of, when the Pharisees, the religious right, were offering tight, merciless, strict laws. I love the way that it allows us to focus off of our works. There are no, there's not enough works that you can do to make yourself righteous. Jesus, in a sense, says, What? You watch me. You trust me. I'm the one. It says in Hebrews in, in chapter 4 Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because every one of us live in time of need for our forgiveness. I love the way that as we focus on the communion table, that we regularly set a time, set the elements of communion, the bread and the cup, to remember what Jesus Christ has done. That There, there, is, there is a visible reminder of the authority that, that Jesus has. I want to direct your attention to Colossians in chapter 2. Paul, in a sense, addressing some of the errant theology, the, the, the bad doctrine the church at Colossae was, was buying. And, and Jesus is, is brought to the surface through Paul's writing. The focus is placed where it needs to be on Jesus. Colossians chapter 2. Listen to verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgments on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Well, what is Paul saying? He's saying the whole it's a shadow of the one, what? Of the Christ who came. Now, before Paul wrote these 
words right above it. He says what in verse 13? And you who were dead in your trespasses, in your sins. That's, that's us. We were dead. What does it say? That God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. But what, what an amazing thought that, that we are weighted down by the burden of our own debt. Jesus said, I got this. You don't have to try to like measure up because you will never do it. I got it. That's, that's exactly the message that Jesus was communicating to his disciples the very night that he was betrayed and, and arrested. Right before he was crucified. Remember that he had drawn those twelve together and, and even even the likes of a Judas, the betrayer, was there. A lot of times we measure sin and, and Jesus offers salvation to everyone. And what Jesus did as an object lesson, and, and just like you and I today, we, we learn, we remember when we see something, visibly see something, and so Jesus gave an object lesson. It says they took bread and, and it was unleavened bread and it was a picture, a symbol of his own body and he showed it to them and, and he broke the bread and he, and he said, just as this bread is broken, my body, my own body is going to be broken for you. Don't forget, don't forget what you are seeing and don't forget what's going to happen. Jesus, it says, took the fruit of the vine and as he poured it, he said, This is a picture of my blood that is poured out for you. It is through what? It is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that washes and cleanses. It's by our faith and trust in what Jesus has done that allows us to have a relationship, a right relationship. Oh, how I was reminded this week about how precious life is and how important it is to have blood flowing through the body to continue on. That's, that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. And, and so as a reminder, Scripture says we regularly remember this until He comes. I, I want to invite every single person here who is a believer. If you're not a member of Bigwood, that's okay. If you have acknowledged the fact that you what? Yeah, yeah, you've pulled a hair, gray hair out on a Sabbath if you're a sinner. If you recognize that you're dead in your sins, but Jesus is the Messiah, Savior of all mankind, that you have offered your life and you desire to live in obedience to Him as Lord, then I invite you, this is for you, take this. The, the, the elders will serve this to you with joy. But could I just be very honest and very blunt? If you are here this morning and you have not made that decision, you have not recognized that you're a sinner and, and the only means of forgiveness is through what Jesus Christ has done on that cross, then, then please refrain from this. It would be meaningless to you. It would be silly for you to take that. To impress the person sitting next to you. Don't do that. God sees our heart. But I want to make it very clear that I want to invite you that if you have not made that decision, that you can do that this morning right here in your seat. You can give your life to the Lord. Say, Lord, I know I am a sinner and I trust you and only you 
work that you accomplished to rescue me from my sin. And I want you to be my Savior. And you desire from this moment to live with Him, Lord, then please take this. I invite you. I would love for you to take that for the very first time. It's an amazing opportunity. I'm going to invite the elders to come at this point, and they're going to serve this to you. Um, They're going to serve you the the bread first, and we'll ask uh, the blessing on both the bread and the cup, and then we will partake of this amazing reminder of God's gift to us um, together as family.